Everybody good? I gotta take a moment to acknowledge one of my good, good friends is in the room. He hates attention, but I'm gonna give it to him anyway. Pastor Kent Muncy, all the way, I'm not gonna tell you where he's from. I'm just gonna tell you in about 325 Central Time, we're gonna be playing his team all the way from Chicago. Pastor Kent Muncy from City Church, him and Allie, great friends. About the best friend you could ever ask for in church, Kent, we love you. And for a few hours this weekend, we will be enemies, but forever we're gonna be friends. No, Kent's the best, and, and nobody's perfect, so. Hey, I like the Bears. I grew up liking the Bears. I lived in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I think the last time, well, besides Devin Hester, when they had Mike Singletary last time, the Bears were good. But you know what? As we do at Arrowhead, let's just greet them with love and encouragement because I have a feeling they're going to need it. And I'm excited to speak on our, our 13th anniversary as we kick off year 14. Uh, and for the book of Haggai, this is an interesting, uh, interesting little snippet there. It says that the, the glory, in chapter two, verse nine, the glory of this present house. In other words, what God's doing, speaking about the temple, speaking about the church, speaking about, if you will, we wanna contextualize it for us today, what God's doing right now, the glory of right now, will be greater than the glory of the former house. This is the plan of God. He is a glory to glory, a grace to grace, a strength to strength God. He says, in this place, the Lord Almighty will, will grant Peace. He uses the word shalom. It literally means not just peace like tranquility. It means wholeness. It means health. It means blessing. It means favor. That everything that we have seen in God's glory for the last 13 years, it actually pales in comparison to what he wants to do right now, to bring restoration and renewal, to bring a, a living and vibrant shalom. The hope of heaven is here and now. I like how the message paraphrase, it says it's, it's gonna end up far better than it started out. Yes, it was a glorious beginning, but it's an even more glorious finish. How many would like to see more of the glory of God in their future? The latter days will be greater than the former days. I'm gonna speak for a few moments uh, on this celebration Sunday about back to the future. Back to the future. How many love the movie Back to the future. Come on. Where are my Gen Xers at? I'm like first year millennial, and this was my, this is like my favorite movie. Now, you think I like Back to the Future 1. I know that's the classic. And Back to the Future 3, that's the Western one. But I'm the only person, I think, alive on the planet that actually likes Back to the Future 2. I got you in the back. I got one. In a multitude of witnesses, Right? Now you realize they went 30 years into the future and it was 2015 that they traveled to. How many feel old all of a sudden? Come on. The, the Gen Zers in here are like, what's Back to the Future, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you about Back to the Future. Okay, Marty McFly, he traveled to the past and he traveled forward. And I remember being mesmerized as a kid of what the future looked like, to what 2015 looked like. They had, um, they had Nikes that could lace themselves. Guess what? We got them. They had, um, they had hoverboards. Now, theirs were cooler than the ones we have, but we got them. Remember they had the, the Texaco with the big shark hologram. All the Gen Z was like, what's a Texaco? Like, it's, it's a gas station. But there's just something I like about, about believing about what could the future look like. I think often in church, because we're a part of something that's been going, honestly, since God first created man, and if God gave his only son on the cross, there's been this new covenant, this new relationship 
that it's great to look back. And when we look back, we can see the guiding hand of a faithful God that's got us this far. But I like to dream and think about the future. What could be? What is God wanting to do? And sometimes for us, though, for us as a church, I think we have to, every once in a while, just take a peek back to how far God has brought us. I want to give you um, Exhibit A, Liz and I's first day when we moved to Kansas City, December 29th. 2009. Do we have the picture? Don't put it up there too long because it's really embarrassing. <laughs> Come on. That We parked on the plaza. This was our U-Haul. Liz will remember this. It was a giant U-Haul because that's all they had. And we had about, we filled up like one-tenth of it. It was the tithe. We had one-tenth. But I remember pulling up to the plaza and, and there's Liz and she, man, she, she looked good. She just keeps getting better and better. You look the same. I look, I look like a freak. <laughs> Liz looking so cute with her fake Burberry scarf on. And I'm not bringing that back to the future. We're not bringing that hair back, okay? But have you noticed that my head has gotten considerably smaller in the last 13 years? That's what humility do. That's what leading a church will do. It'll, it'll shrink your head. Um, you know, we moved here, we didn't know anyone. We just had this dream, this God dream. And we just stepped out and we went for it. We literally would meet people on the streets and invite them back to a Bible study at our little condo across the street from Winstead's on the plaza. I mean, how awkward is that? Hi, my name is Kyle. I'm, you know, I'm a 28-year-old albino. Would you like to come to my house with my wife and study the word of the Lord? I mean, it doesn't get more awkward than that. And it was humble, it was humble beginnings, and God's been, God's been so, so faithful. In Job chapter 8, verse 7, it says, from, from your modest beginnings, from the, from, the, from the small thing, that the future actually will, the future will actually be bright before you. And that's what we've seen in the last decade plus, is just the God illuminating every step and God aligning relationships. But we were back there, we were just kids, just kids, actually reaching kids. Before we were raising kids, we had, we were 28 years old, we reached a bunch of 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. In fact, our whole church team early on was like, like most of them were barely employed and hadn't been around very long. But then God began to add families. God began to add many of you that are still in the church, still part of this family of faith. Like God began to bring people together. But I, to be honest, I remember some things about those early days that I wish were here and now. And I'm gonna speak about Today's not really, it is a celebration, but if I could just for a moment get into your business for just a little bit, because back then our church carried something that I think we've cared a little less about. We've been a little careless with. And it's, we all had this fervency and this fire to like, because of what God was doing with this young team, we were so passionate about inviting anybody and everybody to experience this grace of God that was changing lives. There's literally people on our staff that in the first and second weeks of our church, 13 years ago, this last week, they, they gave their heart to Jesus and they've been with us for 13 years. Now they're, they're the people that serve and lead you. They started from really nothing and yet God in the faith and God has been so, so faithful. But everyone in our church would invite everybody they knew to come and see what God was doing in their life and come to join a part of it. And I want to speak to those that are a little lethargic in their faith. 
that what you think might get you out of this faith funk that you're in is if I had a prophetic word right to your situation or to your struggle, but what actually God does use to break us out of the silos of self that we feel like we might be stuck in is not something so personal like that, that God speaks to us individually, but when we actually begin to participate with what's on God's heart. That when we start to care about what God cares about, God begins to care for the things that we care about. And I wanna activate again that attitude of evangelism that our church used to carry, and many of you still do, but it's no longer a place where just a few people can gather a couple to church. It's time for us to understand how important the purpose of heaven for the local church is, and each and every one of us, no matter our personality type, no matter if we're extrovert or introvert, no matter where you're at on the Enneagram, every one of us as believers and followers of Jesus have to own the opportunities of engaging with lost people I'm not talking about people from other churches. I'm talking about people that do not know Jesus or they have not followed him in years, that there is a place for them not only to belong, but there's a place where God will build their life. And this church has been building lives. This church has been reaching the lost. And yet it's time for us to re-up again, go back in time, catch the spirit of our church so we can go into the future of what God has, the greater glory that's in the latter days that are, are yet to come because I think what will energize your faith more than anything is gaining God's heart for the lost. Often when we get frustrated because God hasn't fixed something yet. God hasn't showed up in a season or situation yet. But if you will show up to get in line with what's on the heartbeat of your heavenly Father, God will make sure that the things in your heart will come to pass. Because I think what, what we're excited about, God bringing a breakthrough or a miracle, sometimes we've forgotten that we were once far from him. And God used people. And God used the prayers of people and the invitation of people and the engagement of people to bring us back home to him. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus Christ, you seem to get a little more of heaven here on the earth. In fact, that's what we see in Jesus' teaching. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Luke 15, Luke 12. In Luke 15, for those who grew up in church, you already know where I'm going. There's back-to-back-to-back stories about God's heart for humanity, God's heart for lost people. And Jesus is teaching, like, this is what God thinks about. This is what God plans. This is what God gets involved in. And if you want God to show up and activate some things in your life, then you need to get connected and aligned with his heart for people. And I want to set the stage today theologically. Like, why do we believe what we believe? And like, I think it's increasingly important in these confusing days that we have clarity of what Jesus saw the mission of the church, what he believed about the church, why the church even existed. Because in Luke 15, I think Jesus shows us a little glimpse of the outward mission of the church and his inward mindset, his mindset about why the church is so vital to the plan of heaven here on the earth. And from theology, then we build methodology. It's what we believe should show us what we, we do, the practical ways to implement, implement more of Jesus' vision in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, and in our church. Because if you're just choosing good plans over God plans, you're going to miss the grace of God. And your good plan might come to pass, but I tell you, it pales in comparison to the God plan of what he wants to do in you, in your marriage, and through your life. Listen, the best way, listen, to stay inwardly healthy long-term 
which is why the whole world, even the church world, we're so focused on inner health, and that's beautiful. It's beautiful to rid yourself of anxious thoughts and to let God settle some of the scars of yesterday. It's so good to deal with some things going on in your world, in your heart, and in your mind. But the best way to stay healthy long-term is to not be, uh, to actually be outward focused with our faith. Not in appearance. Not in appearance, but in our approach. Because if you start seeing yourself the way that Jesus sees you, you'll start experiencing the life that Jesus has for you. And Jesus sees you as light to a dark world. How many of us here were concerned a little bit with what we see going on in the world? How many would say, I'm concerned what's going on in our schools. I'm concerned what's going on in our city. I'm concerned what's going on, maybe even in your own family. What Jesus is concerned to. When Jesus looks over humanity, his heart breaks with concern. We see this in Matthew 9. He saw the crowds. He saw the people. The people were actually were coming to him. But the Bible says he felt sorry for them because they were hurting and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There wasn't anyone to show them the way to go. And then he said, hey, the harvest is more than enough. It's plentiful. But the workers are actually few. In other words, there's way more need and opportunity than there's people that carry a heart for humanity. And what we see in Luke 15, and we'll only get to the first parable today, is we catch that shepherd heart of Jesus. Like people that were sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story that shows you how we're supposed to live and how God actually thinks. Luke 15, verse 1, the tax collectors, which were the outcasts of really both sides of the party. The Romans didn't like them, and the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people definitely didn't like them, the people of Israel. Tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes, or the teachers of the law, they begin to mutter. Come on, how many know the church person that mutters about everything going wrong about everyone else's life? That's what the Pharisees were doing. They would begin to mutter. and says, hey, this man, this guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, the Pharisees had the outward excellence, but inwardly they were empty. They knew more than they actually did. And they knew what everyone else should do, even though they didn't do it themselves. Because going deeper doesn't make you a disciple. Doing the will of the Father does you know, when you say yes to Jesus, you're a believer, you're a Christian. But there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. A Christian has a relationship with Jesus because of the grace of God, but a disciple follows Jesus. And I'm here to declare for us as a church, we're going to be true disciples of Jesus. We're not just going to experience him on a Sunday. We're going to carry him into our workplace and into our school, into our neighborhoods, into our families throughout the week. Because I hope today, Kingdom City Church, you catch the heart of God for humanity and realize it's not something just to pray about. No, we pray and we participate in what matters the most, bringing heaven to earth. We don't put into practice our faith. We'll never, ever, listen, you will never satisfy that insatiable appetite for being absorbed and listening to the teachings of Jesus without living them out. There's a hunger for more knowledge and we need to grow in our understanding. That's why theology frames what we do. But we have to practice the methodology of what we're called to do as a people of faith. I mean, even when Jesus called his disciples, he said, hey, which he called a tax collector and he called fishermen. He did not gather people from the Ivy Leagues of Jerusalem and Israel. No, he gathered people no one else would have picked. And he didn't say, hey, walk with me through three years. We're going to read through the Bible three times. We're gonna, you're going to sit in the corner, and you're going to study what I do. And then maybe one day you'll be able to live for me. 
No, immediately he gathered them and he began to let them participate in the engagement with lost and hurting and broken people. And the disciples were built up by putting into practice what they saw Jesus do and by obeying what Jesus said. You wanna grow your faith, you start doing what God's asked you to do. You start listening to what Jesus is saying and you start answering back, yes, Lord, because that's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. And what we get in this is Jesus' vision, his his vision for his people is about direction and dedication, not about perfection. In this kingdom first church, I believe that evangelism and discipleship are dance partners, that they always work together. But let me say this very clear, and this might offend some of you, and I hope it does. Evangelism leads the dance. Because we're called to go to all the world and make disciples, but they can't become a disciple if they don't know Jesus. We've got to go into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our spheres of influence and our circle, as we call it. And we're called to share the love of Jesus, to engage with people right where they're at. And as they come along for the journey, then they become disciples as they follow Jesus, not just know Jesus. In verse 3, it says, In Jesus, he told them this parable, this story, so they could understand the complex ways of God in a way they could grab a hold of. He said, Suppose if one of you had a, a hundred sheep and, and you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, I'm not a shepherd outside of the pastoral sense. I know nothing of sheep, but I do understand statistics. If I got 99 out of 100, friends, that's an A+. I'm doing pretty good. Those were not my grades in school. I would be happy with the 99. But Jesus says, hey, doesn't he go do this? Isn't that one still so valuable? Even that he'd be willing to leave that which he has in order to get the one that got away? It says in verse five, as he finds it, he what joyfully, he joyfully puts that burden on himself. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Not only is he celebrating, he's inviting others to celebrate as well. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And I don't know about you, but if I, if I had someone that lost 90, had 99 of what they had and they only had one left and they called me to celebrate just that 1%, I don't know if I would be that excited because like, hey, you already had 99. But Jesus says, hey, the mindset of the kingdom, and it's not about the 99, it's about the one. That the one is worth celebrating and the one is worth hunting after. And the one is worth carrying on your own shoulders. And the one is worth celebrating with other people. This is something so significant to God's way of thinking. Do you see how theology has to be at the framework of our mentality on the mission of Jesus? That if God says this is priority, it has to be priority to us as well. It says, I tell you in verse 7 that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner than repents than out of 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Doesn't mean as a believer you don't need to walk in repentance. He's just saying, let me show you the scoreboard of God's kingdom. The touchdowns that we celebrate are not the small changes in your life as the disciples. We do celebrate that as well. But what really gets celebrated is when the lost son and daughter returns back home. Jesus just shows us in Luke 15 this clarity of priority. Because God never woke up one day and asked, like, you know what? I don't know, let's just let them all go to eternity without me. They, you know, he's a perfect father. 
No father would say, you know what, my kids are struggling. I, 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 I just want, no perfect father would say, I want to check out on the one that is lost. Maybe they should all go away. No, the Bible says that he wants and desires, and he's, he's even elongating this season of time so that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, that all would come back to him. He says, won't he leave the 99 others and go to the wilderness and search for the lost one? Won't he do that? And I would ask you the same, Kingdom City Church, won't you do that? If that's what Jesus says is the, the heart of the Father, this going after the lost, isn't that what Jesus said? I have come to seek and save the lost. So we, as this representation of Jesus on the earth, as the body of Christ, that's what the church is, should we not carry the same heartbeat as our Savior? Do we care about what Jesus cares about? Are we moved with action and strategy and prayer and participation for the one? Are we okay with the status quo? Is 99 enough or does that one really matter? You were a one at some time. Maybe you have someone in your family who's a one. They're the one that's away. They're the one that's gone. Maybe it's even a spouse. How many know that that one really matters to you? But all the ones really matter to our God. So if we're going back to the future, I want to go back to the basics. That we are a church that seeks and saves the lost. We are a church also that makes disciples. But what we celebrate, the significance, is not the growth of one believer. It's the reaching of the lost and the establishment of salvation in their life. This is what we're after. This is our church. At Kingdom City Church, I put it this way. We put a high focus on hopeless people. When you think hopeless, you might think addict or someone in dire situations or poverty. You might think of someone that can't seem to break out of a cycle of being stuck. But we put a high priority on hopeless people. Why do we say here that people are the promised land? It's not about us just getting more for ourselves. It's about what more can we do for this glorious mission of Jesus. Do you know that rich people, clever people, gifted people, attractive people, people with family heritage and trust funds and people that have all the skill and all the promotions in life, if they are without Jesus, they are still hopeless. The only hope that we have is that because God went on a search and rescue mission from heaven for us. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, better the poor man who walks in uprightness than the rich man who's crooked in his ways. That doesn't mean you have to live in poverty to honor God, far from it. You can have property, you can have investments, you can have a trust fund for your kids, but it's about those that walk in uprightness. It's more important than the person who might seem like they have it all, but if they have no living hope, they don't have Jesus. And it's better to have nothing and have Jesus than have everything and not have him. Listen, the worst day for your life as a Christian, the worst day you could ever have on the planet with Jesus is better than the best day anyone will ever have if they don't have Jesus. This Friday night, we came home from our our kids' football game, and my son had a friend with him, and my daughter, my youngest, our three-year-old, was walking down the stairs, and she tripped, and she fell. I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and she didn't just like fall down a few stairs. Uh, she was tumbling down the stairs, wood floors, and she hit so hard, literally feet overhead down the stairs, and I ran to her. I was like Usain Bolt fast, as fast as I've ever been in my life, and I yelled the name of Jesus, I believe I was yelling it to call for Jesus' help, not a swear word, but it's, it's a gray area, and it still worked. It still worked. That's how good he is. 
and I grabbed her and I yelled for Liz. And I'm already crying because of how hard she hit the ground. And she's shaking and she's hurting. Praise God, like she was not hurt. I honestly think it was miraculous. We get to pray over her and, and, and love her and encourage her. Do you know that my kids and their friend, they were in my way, on my way to get her at the bottom of the stairs? And without hesitation, I hit that gap like Christian Okoye. Come on, old school Chiefs fans. And it's not that I don't love them. It's not that I don't care about them. It's not that I want to do the same for them. They weren't the one hurting. They weren't the one helpless. They weren't the one crying. They were the one I was worried about. I still love them the same, but my father's heart had to get to the one who was hurting the most. And I pray that you would get a divine transfusion of the goodness of our God to go after people in our world. Because last time I checked, this word is our authority in life. It's how we live and it's how we lead. And it says, apart from Jesus, there is a perilous and dire and hopeless eternity. And so this is why God's heart beats for humanity who is far off. Not only do we go and get them, it says in Luke 15, as he finds this lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his own shoulders and goes, goes home. At Kingdom City Church, we are, we are hands-on with those who are far from home. We don't just pray about it. We're going to be about it. We, we don't just pray from a distance. And prayer is powerful. We know prayer and declaration, can, it can move mountains, spiritually speaking. It can change things. But we pray and we participate. And we are high touch, high touch, hands on with people far from home. If we're carrying it on our shoulders, you know what? You, you got some weight on your back. We don't know how far away the sheep wandered, but... The, the, the shepherd wasn't worried about the trek home. He was joyfully celebrating. He couldn't even wait to throw a party. It wasn't about the burden. He was, the burden was light. It was easy. Why? Because he had a right priority. He puts it on his own shoulders. In other words, this requires personal involvement. The shepherd had this clarity to realize that, that we got to get this clarity to realize that for the mission to succeed, we have to get personally involved. He could feel the matted wool on his shoulders. You can get the smell, the dirt, the weight. And if you want God to weigh in on what's weighing on your heart, you start carrying some weight for what's on his heart. If you will care for what he cares about, he will care about what, what you care about. Because we cannot escape this personal involvement. I'm a, I'm a pretty good church inviter. I love to invite people to church and it's like now like, my church, like I'm the pastor. I know it's Jesus' church. I get it, I get it. But like, I love to invite them. Like, hey, would you come to church? You should go to the church I go to. And then sometimes they come in and they sit in the seat, and then I come up on stage and I'm like, you dirty dog. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> got them. And and I'm pretty crafty at it. I got all the tricks of the trade. I'll be honest with you. I'm normally clutch. Like I'm a homing beacon. If I find you, I got you. Ready or not, you can't hide. Here I come. Come on, Fujis. I'm going after you. This week, I invited two people to church. O for two. Didn't even get on base. I was like the Royals all season. O for. You don't care. It's Chiefs. It's just Chiefs country. And I have relationship. I have connection. These weren't random. It's people in my world. 
One guy I see all the time. He's actually come before. And I literally said, hey, you really gotta come to church sometime again. He said, why? He's like, you need to be able to answer the God question in your life. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the answer. I said, when you, let's get coffee, let's talk about it. Oh man, I got a, a birthday party, da, da, da. I was like, hey, just let you know, I care about you enough to not quit. And I do, this is a guy I'm close to. He literally bought me a Christmas gift. He doesn't even believe in Christ. And I'm invested and I still got shot down. But I would love for us to not be so insecure about the opinions and the approval of people that we never participate in this forever thing that we're a part of? When's the last time you risked it in relationship? And he said, I'll carry this weight myself. I'll put this on my own shoulders. I gave you this card that I, we printed up this week. It just shows our city and, and the people in it. It just gives you a couple of little steps that you can take. And I want you to take this home, and I don't want you to tuck it in your Bible and, you know, when you're four times a day, you read your Bible, you pull it out. I want you to put it somewhere you're gonna see it. And let it not just blend into the background, let it begin to frame your prayer life and listen, and your participation life. Because if it's up to, I know saving is all the work of Jesus and the grace of God. I know that none of us can save a soul. But the Bible says that some people plant and some people water and God brings the increase. And you have seed that you sit on. And you got water that you withhold. And there's opportunity every single day for those that would just have an awareness. I don't even think you often need the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You just need to have your eyes up and your ears open. There's hurting people everywhere that you go. And friends, you have a solution on the inside. No, you have the solution on the inside. And what a, what a sad reality is to keep the inside of you the one thing that could set them free. We carry the weight ourselves. Acts chapter one, verse eight, says the Holy Spirit is not there for the feels of worship, not even the giftings of the Holy Spirit that we believe in, empowerment, the divine enablement. Those are all great and wonderful. But with Jesus' own words in Acts chapter one, literally the last thing we have recorded in scripture that Jesus speaks in this book of Acts in the beginning, he says, hey, if you wait for the Holy Spirit, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna receive power and you're gonna have this ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. I love how the Amplified says it. It just says it so plainly. To tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria. Samaria were the people that they hated. It says, no, I want you to go into your region, that your circle is your responsibility. And even to the ends of the earth. In other words, it cannot just be for us here. It's gotta be something that goes around the globe, but start in your circle. Do lost people matter? According to Jesus, they really matter. Do found people matter? Do Christians matter? Yes, 100%. But here's the formula for going off of Acts 15 in the first few verses that lost sheep matter 100 times as much as a found person, according to Jesus' perspective. Now, God's not like us. He's got the ability to fulfill your needs and your needs and for your marriage and for your kids, and for your career, and help you with your anxiety, and help you with your, your, your provision. He could do it all. But he's saying, let me just tell you the scale that I'm more interested, I'm 100 times more interested in the one that's away than the ones that are here. Why? Because he knows time is short and eternity is forever. The time is in here and now, and what's, what's, what's 
bursting on the heart of the Father are those that need his love, his grace, the lost sons and daughters that are called to return home. So we're passionate about our Christian growth, and we're passionate about our word, and we're passionate about our prayer life, and we're passionate about our marriages, and we're passionate about the raising of our kids, but we've got to carry a high-priority passion for what God is passionate about. We are 13 years in, and guys, we have forever to go. Kingdom City Church, final thought, we are highly motivated to make this count for forever. There may be some of the things you're believing for, listen, not to squash your faith, but maybe some of the things you're believing for aren't all that high priority when it comes to the perspective of eternity. I think the little things in your life are significant to God. I think the little prayers you pray, the big prayers you pray, they all matter to God. But we want to make sure that we're leveraging our life in a way that lasts for forever. As the people of the kingdom of God, we are in the forever business. And I'm speaking to this now teenage church. Are we going to mature? Are we going to really grow up? I'm not talking about just maturing in our word. I'm talking about maturing in the work of the ministry to participate in bringing salvation to our city and to our circle and to the people that we love. Jesus tells a very, very challenging story in, in, in Luke chapter 12. You ever read something from the Bible? It's like, oh, that's, that's tough to hear. If you never read any of those, you're probably not reading your Bible. And Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, hey, let me tell you about this guy who had it all. Let me tell you about this guy who had everything. Everything was working. He was winning. And yet he had a wrong perspective about what really lasts. And the time and season of his life. And if you've got a problem with this passage, you can take it up to Jesus. By the way, I've tried that with the Holy Spirit, and I'm also over there. It's never worked once. The Bible tells us in Luke 12, he has this big harvest, so much so he doesn't even have room enough to contain it. And so he's like, what do I do with my blessing? You know what, I'm gonna build something bigger for myself. Verse 19, we get this inner monologue that this guy has. He says, you know, I'm gonna say to myself, hey, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. I just feel like Jesus said that in the Mr. T voice. You fool. <laughs> Again, Jesus' words, not mine. That's, that's so foolish. What a bad perspective. What a short-sighted perspective. You fool, he said, like, this very night, you're not making it through. It'll be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Verse 21 says, this is how it will be for the, whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And we're not talking about money, we're talking about your life. Those that don't value what God values. Those that don't have the heartbeat of heaven on the inside. And he tells his long story to the disciples and say, hey, it's not about what you eat and it's not about what you drink. Why are you so worried? Why are you so worried that some things haven't worked in your world yet? Do you not know that if you would put me first, everything you need, you're gonna get and more. I will, I will bring everything to you that you really need to live the life that I have for you, which I think is a life of bounty and blessing, not brokenness and lack. I think it's a life filled with the goodness of God. It's just about the priority placement of our lives. You don't have to worry about your clothes. I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about it. 
I'll cover you. Because why? We seek first his kingdom. And everything you need will be added. If you put the gold medal of your heart onto God's kingdom, God will take care of all of your needs, not just in the here and now, but in the eternal where it matters the most. I love verse 32. We can always skip over this. We finish strong with like, seek first God's kingdom. Come on, we're kingdom city church. Our church, we focus on our church with the kingdom mentality. But I love 32. It says, don't be afraid, little flock. Who's he talking to? The 99. He's talking to us. Hey, little flock. Hey, little sheep. Don't be afraid. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. He'll give you the request of your heart, the desires of your heart. If you put him first, I think he'll take great care of you. Again, he's this omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful. He's not going to just bless one family. He can bless all of us. Not just going to build one marriage. He can build all of our marriages. But we get this priority placement of kingdom first. And the call of the kingdom is the voice of salvation. It's a light into a dark world. It's how we love each other as well in the community of faith. It's why we don't fight and we don't compare and we don't nitpick and we don't gossip. We actually build each other up because Jesus says that the validity of our love, his love for us is seen in our love for one another. It's why we build each other up. There's not a person in this room that you're in competition with. We're in competitions with our old selves and our new selves, our old man and our new man, our selflessness of yesterday and our selflessness of tomorrow that we're coming alive to calling and purpose by seeking first the kingdom. And you'll have the forever blessing because why? Where your treasure is, your heart is also. Your treasure is your time, your talents, your giftings. It's your resource. It's your skills. It's your circle. It's what you can bring over and hand over to a God from a status of your heart that says, God, your kingdom goes first. So what do we treasure? treasure the things that last forever and we built this church on bringing our friends we built this church on awkward conversations with the people around us that needed to know God we leveraged our circle for the glory of God and friends it's time to go back to the future to get back to who we were so we can become who we're called to be Every father, every mother in here knows this moment when you first heard your child, heard your child's heartbeat. Come on. Especially firstborn. They all matter, but come on, that first heartbeat. You know that moment? We recorded it on our phone. It was like my ringtone. I mean, it got real, real when I had, a, there was a heartbeat there. There's heartbeats all over our city. They're far from God. As a father, you, you, you love that. The heartbeat of the father is to connect with the heartbeat of lost sons and daughters. To, to, to carry what he carries. Value what he values. Participate in what he's going to do. If you want more blessing in your life, be a builder in the kingdom of God. And you will see that as you put him first in place of priority, God will take care of every need because nothing is too difficult for him. He's actually looking for those that want to say yes to Christianity, but will truly be a disciple. Christians know God, disciples follow Jesus. And we're building disciples here. What do you treasure? Revelations 2, there's this letter that Jesus writes. We got our kids like halfway report cards this week. We gave a little update on where they're at. Between the two that get grades 
all A's, two B's. By the way, for me back in the day, it was like, B stands for blessed, you know? C, can, C stands for called. D stands for my teachers deceived. But two B's and like, we're proud of them. They're on their way, it's going well. But Jesus writes this letter to the church and they're doing a lot. They're very active. They're serving, like House of Hope stuff. They're giving to the poor. They're hustling out there. They're serving at church. He says, hey, 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 I see all your activity. I see all your energy. I'm not mad about it. But what I think you're missing is this old, this old thing you used to have. If we go back to the future for a moment, go back in time, I would say like, I'm not first. You've lost that passion, that zeal, that desire. Uh, we need to get that back. Return to your first love. Get back to the heart of the gospel. Get back to seeking and saving the lost. And if we would do that, listen, as we would go back and grab a hold of that heart that some of us might have lost, get a heart for humanity that God has, let him begin to break our heart for what breaks his, we would begin to see the future so filled with the goodness of God, so filled with the blessing and favor of heaven, so filled with fulfillment in your marriage and the raising of your kids. We would see so much goodness in our future if we could get back to what the heart that started it all. And so we go after the lost. A lost friend, a lost person is a big deal in our life. And we're gonna wrestle with this. I would pray that you wanna just listen to him as you're like, oh, that was maybe a little heavier than normal, maybe a little more in my face. No, I would pray that you would spend time with the Holy Spirit. You'd read these passages for yourself. Now let me just read the Bible for you. Read it and say, what is Jesus asking of me? What does it look like that the, in my world that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few? What does it mean for me to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a soul winner? What does it mean to, for me to be a person that encourages others to get connected to what God is doing on the earth through the local church? As we do that, friends, watch and see. Listen, let me forecast the future. I do not need a DeLorean. I can tell you what your God's gonna do. He is going to bless you and us. He's gonna reach the city. He's gonna change our world. He's gonna impact our Judea, our Jerusalem, our Samaria, our ends of the earth. He is just getting started, and there is so much more in store. You wanna come alive to Jesus? Lean into what he leans into. Care about what he cares about. Find your place and position. Let's be hands on in helping people come back home. Let's put that weight on our own shoulders. Let's get on our knees every night and say, God, give me a burden for the city. Give me a burden for broken people. Put me in places where people need prayer, where people need invitation. Help me see humanity the way that you see them as lost sons and daughters. Those are my brothers and my sisters. I'm not gonna lose them on my watch. I'm gonna do something about it. And if they don't follow suit, I least know that I've poured myself out like a living offering, a sacrifice that he'll find pleasing. I'm not giving up on what God's gotten involved in because once I was lost, now I'm found. I didn't earn this. I received this. Someone prayed for me. Someone prayed for you. Someone invited you. Someone loved God and you enough to engage with you. And if we can do this together, there is no stopping what God wants to do. His will is for all to be saved. His heart is for all of humanity. He will reach into your world. He will change your world as you live to change the world around you. Father God, I thank you for our church. 13 years you've been faithful and they've been faithful.
13 years, you've reached people every service of every Sunday. 685 Sundays, you've reached a person. And you use us to do it. What a privilege. Help our priorities get back in alignment. It's not about our 99. Praise God for those that are found. But if your heart's after the one, so is ours. We're all in on the one. We're all in on the one. You sent Jesus, you're one and only. And your word says you would have done it just for one. Given up all that you have. You didn't give up 99, you gave up your one and only. So we could know your love and know your grace. Let us never take it for granted. Let's look back to realize the apostles gave their lives for this thing. We just get to joy. In the same way, let us be living sacrifice to secure heaven to earth, to secure kingdom come, to secure what you want to do in our circle, in our sphere, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. Lord, I pray that it be a burden, like weight on their shoulders for this lost and broken world. And then the Bible says that when Jesus puts his burden on us, it's light and easy because he anoints us to carry it. We still carry the weight, but we carry it with joy, just like the sheep was carried back home. Lord, I thank you that we put Jesus and his kingdom first above all else. And you're going to meet every need. And you're going to build a big, beautiful life through us and our families and our future. But Lord, we're willing to risk it so that others can have the relationship. Let us never take it for granted what you've done for us. Can you bow, keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here, listen, listen. Best thing we do, most important thing we do. If you're far from God, it's time to come back home. I did not say this to be dramatic. I'm just repeating the Bible. No one is promised tomorrow. You don't make this decision when I get things right. You make the decision that God begins to make you right with him. Righteousness is a gift. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. Some of you actually came with a friend. Your friend cared enough. After service, you need to thank them. Say, thank you for loving me enough to risk it today so I could hear this message, so I could receive the goodness of God. And if you're here and you're far from God, if you're here and you've wandered off, maybe you've never said yes to the love of Jesus. Friend, no matter how successful you are, no matter how significant you are, no matter how gifted you are, you're hopeless. But there is a living hope. And it's knocking on the door of your heart right now. It wants to change your life. It wants to give you life. That heartbeat. Your heavenly father hears that heartbeat as a lost son and daughter. And he comes close. And he cannot wait for you to be in relationship. To be in his arms. To be in his care. To be surrounded by his love. To receive his grace. If you're here and you're far from Jesus or you need to come back home. Today is your day. And now is your moment. No one looking around. We're going to pray a prayer as one big family of faith. We're going to celebrate this moment with you, but you got to make it for yourself. In just a second, I'm going to have you raise your hand. The only reason I do that, I'm not singling you out. I'm not calling you up front. You're not even signing up for church. You're just saying yes to Jesus. But I want you to make one move, one move that says God's moving in my life. God's changing my life. God, I'm going to give you my yesterday, my today, and my forever, and I'm going to receive your love that's you with no one looking around if you need to get right with Jesus if you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you wonder if it's time to come back home don't miss it don't miss it would you lift up your hands say Pastor Carl that's me today I need this prayer I see you I see you I see you there's three four five six seven eight nine come on ten 
There's 11 of you. Anyone else? Maybe that's you online at Lansing. I can't see every hand in here. It's dark, but God sees you right where you're at. And we're going to pray a prayer. we got a next move for you to make, but this is the move that matters the most. We're getting rid of our sin, and we're saying yes to our Savior. Church family, lift up your heads. Let's say this together. One big family of faith. Come on. Say, thank you, God, for loving me so much. You couldn't stand the separation. You sent a Savior. He was on a search and rescue mission. His name was Jesus. And on his cross, he carried my weight, carried my sin, and it's paid in full. I am forgiven because I put my trust in Jesus. From this day on, I'm following him. I'm not looking back. I'm walking forward. Help me be a disciple. Help me really follow Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. My life has been saved by the goodness of God, the faithfulness of Jesus. It's his name I pray. Amen. Church, we should celebrate like the shepherd does and his friends. Come on, they can do better than that. Church, I love you. Happy anniversary.